0: Welcome back to another episode of Horror Cats and the Witch Hats. Sorry, I watched the new episodes of What We Do in the Shadows, and now all I want to do is talk in their accents. <laughs> it's Katie and Izzy, and we are uh, we're back at it for our first ha- se- I almost said Halloween movie, our first September movie. You know what? As far
1: as I'm concerned, September first starts Halloween season.
0: So I already- oh, see, I started back in August. So I, you you got to catch up.
1: <laughs> I've pulled out. So August starts fall season. That's when pumpkin and things like that happen. September is when it's officially okay for me to pull out my Halloween decorations and leave them out until Thanksgiving.
0: (laughs) And then Christmas See, mine go all year round at that point. But I also don't have other like good Christmas, like I don't have, we have good Halloween decorations. Otherwise we don't have like any other good (laughs) decorations for any other holiday.
1: This is our fun announcement. We've kind of teased it a little bit, but we finally got our lives together and it's officially being done. Uh, you should send us things because we are doing our first annual Halloween raffle.
0: And I wish based- I had one of those like horn buttons. I was like,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Your voice was perfect. So. Okay, cool. <laughs> and so, what we're going to do is this is our way of, you know, Begging for interaction. <laughs> Pretty
0: <We're> much. Bribing. <laughs> um,
1: it's a good way to do it though. No, but so what we're gonna do <laughs> is starting with September and going until October, we are going to do a raffle. And the winner of said raffle will get a package featuring fun, horror themed, and our podcast themed things straight from us. It will have crafts, <laughs> movies, um... Probably any, treats. Yeah, candy, stuff like that.
0: We have a sweet tooth if you haven't figured that one out yet. <laughs> we'll make it worth it. So, how do you get entries into the raffle? Oh, you ask this? Well, let me tell you. One entry, you get... Okay, well, let me let me start this over. You get one single entry every time you like one of our social media posts, whether it is Facebook or Instagram. You get two points... Two entries for um, commenting on any of our social media posts. And then you can get five uh, entries for emailing us. You get plus one for, um, you know, movie cr- a movie request that's in there, a review, or anything else that kind of is seen or heard in an episode. Um, you can get plus one to that five in an email. Uh,
1: in addition to commenting, like we did with the... Halloween one where we said send us your alternate whatever. Yeah. Um, That got used so that would also get a plus one in addition to the two for commenting. We are going to come up with more ways for you to earn entries and
0: Yeah. You can. It's just early. It's, it's just early. Yeah. <laughs> it's just early. If,
1: and if yeah. you like Oof. a post on Facebook and like the same post on social media, you will get one entry for each. For each like. And the ones that will count the posts that count are the ones starting september 1st through october 30th so none of the ones before now (laughs) starting now and then what we'll do is we actually are set to release an episode halloween weekend so we will announce the winner that weekend and then we'll contact them and go from there. And between now and then, we'll tease a few things that are going to be in the raffle basket. Winning
0: basket of baskets. Basket. Basket? Basket. Bucket. We should do it. <gasps> we should put it in a Halloween bucket. Think a trick-or-treating bucket. As soon as I said, "but basket, I was like, ooh, a pumpkin. <laughs> yeah. There's your first yeah, tease.
1: What... Um, we're going to give you a cauldron or some sort of
0: Halloween-themed basket. <laughs> Ba-ba-bum! Now, now you're even more enticed, I know, I see it, I don't, I, I, I but I hear it, kind of, no, we don't, but we know. So let's get to this day's, uh, this day's, let's get to this episode's movie. I don't think we announced that we were
1: doing this movie on any of our other posts, uh, because- I don't think we
0: did either, so this is probably going to be a really big, like, throw at you, random one. So, to to be honest, I thought
1: this was due next week, and so I was going to post this week what we were doing- <laughs> And then I was like, "Oh shit, it's due today."
0: <laughs> yeah, thanks so, to uh, family yay. emergencies and and unfortunate scene happenings. Um, unfortunately, we are pushed back a little bit, and I'm sorry. That is uh, my side of the family's fault. <laughs> but nevertheless,
1: this is a listener request. Yep,
0: and it is great. I'm gonna try. <laughs> oh. I'm gonna try so hard not to bag on this one, but this movie is so hard to watch for me. I thought it was great when I was like 10. Listen, and then I
1: was like, man, this is a terrible movie. Can we tell them the movie before you shit on it? <laughs> sure. Go ahead. All right. The movie we're doing, it's actually two movies. It's Grave Encounters and then Grave Encounters 2. And before Caitlin continues her rampage on this movie, I actually really like the first Grave Encounters. I appreciate
0: it had, all that they It did. had some cool, it has some cool aspects, it has some cool ideas, but it's straight up just a movie of, great, of ghost adventures. That's... Like Zach Baggins, like style and everything. So,
1: we'll talk about it. But that's literally what it's supposed to be. I, I, so I'm the very fact aware. that that's what they did and you got that means they did a good job.
0: <laughs> but oh, it's also because I sit there and watch Ghost Adventures and go, "That was fake. That oh, that was fake. That, that that doesn't say anything." I mean, but <laughs> we all. Know I also that. work with audio, so like everything that's like, "Oh, did you see this right in this?" I'm like. Yeah, that's called somebody scratching the microphone, but see, okay. <laughs> nobody
1: watches that show because they actually think that they are going to see ghosts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, when I was five, I did. But Grave Encounters. So Grave Encounters.
1: Came out in 2011, so happy 10-year reunion or anniversary. Ooh, I don't know why I said reunion. They're not getting Reunion. Together, <laughs> but... <laughs>
0: Yay! They're all, they're all getting back together to host a new
1: one. Um, they'll be on HBO. Oprah Winfrey will
0: be hosting. <laughs> and you get a ghost. And you get a ghost. And you get a ghost. <laughs> yes. So if you haven't figured it out, it is a supernatural supernatural uh, isolation and found footage horror movie. So it's one of those shaky camera in the dark videos.
1: <laughs> I will say that this, the found footage in this one is extra hard to watch because unlike quarantine where it was it was like quote found footage but it was still professional mm-hmm. um, so it wasn't blurry a lot this one is literally like a 12 year old with a camera
0: <laughs> it, it brings me back to um, uh, what is that one with a giant ass monster it was just in my head Cloverfield Field, thank you. Yeah, it's, it's a lot like that one, where it's like some amateur holding a camera trying to video shoot, and it's real fucking shaky. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's like blurry a lot, and that, for me, was the hardest part about this movie, is because it yeah. just annoys me,
0: but... No, I, I agree.
1: That's also, like we said, the intent, so... I guess. Good job. What they did do with the found footage, though, that I appreciated (laughs) is they kind of break up the like ultra amateur found footage sections with cameras that are still um, like.
0: Like uh, on tripods and stuff. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like security cameras in your home kind of footage. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to think of what it's called. VSP or SVP footage whatever police use you know it's kind of like that (laughs) um and then they also have random like still photographs that they put in there so they do break it up a little bit which I appreciate
0: I almost said CVS and I was like nope that's a pharmacy it's something like (laughs) I don't know I'm not gonna google it I don't care
1: uh this movie did have its premiere at the 2011 Tribeca Film Festival And Forbes Magazine placed it in the top 10 horror movies of 2011-2012. So suck it, Katie.
0: I'm trying to think of what other horror movies came out at that time.
1: The directors, who are brothers, they wrote and produced, but did not direct the sequel Grave Encounters 2, which was released the following year in 2012. Grave Encounters had one win and one nomination.
0: Hmm. So as we said, the directors uh, were brothers. Um, starts off with, and then we'll, and then we'll go into writers. Oh. But Colin, sorry,
1: they're not actually related. They're friends, but they go under the name Fish Vicious Brothers.
0: The Vicious Brothers, got that's, it. That makes the more name sense. Of I was their, like, like duo, but they're not actually related. They actual met in brothers. high school. I want to say. I mean, it's like you and I. We say we're sisters, but we've never. But granted, our families have been together for 100 years, so I mean, like, at least we have more standing on that. (laughs) Uh, So, Colin Manahan, I think, right? Manahan, I think. Sometimes I can't get names right, and they're weird. But Colin Manahan, he's best known for directing close to about 100 music videos in his 20s. Otherwise, you don't really know too much else about him. Um, And then Stuart Ortiz is his second, um, is the second vicious brother in this cycle. And he has like nothing else under his belt that we knew of.
1: (laughs) They've done like smaller stuff, but I don't think anything as big as Grave Encounters. No. So for the Uh, past, none of them have really been in anything big since. Most of them have been in like TV shows. Uh, and some of them have been in the same TV shows but at different times but otherwise none of them have like movies or anything that I care to mention so I'm just going to blow through these so Jerry Hartfield is the producer of the show his name is Ben Wilkinson he's mainly featured at the beginning of the movie yeah Lance Preston lead investigator is played by Sean Rogerson fun fact he's 6'2 Sasha Parker is an assistant on the show I don't know what her role title is <laughs> paranormal yeah. investigator I guess. Uh, she plays the only female <laughs> as always she's played by Ashley Grisco she's 5'2 which is the only reason I mentioned their heights because in the movie you can clearly tell
0: there's a very yeah it's very indistinct she's an inch shorter than I am though really I didn't know you were 5'3 yeah. I'm 5'3 yeah.
1: oh, I didn't know that
0: but she just. Looks... I'm, I'm, small. <laughs> she just looks
1: extra short when she stands next to him. But he's really just extra tall compared to everybody else.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much.
1: TC Gibson is the videographer of the team, and he's played by Merwin Mondaser. Matt White. Merwin, such an
0: interesting name.
1: <laughs> it's kind of like Irwin mixed with, uh, Merlin. Merlin. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) Matt White is the tech guy of the group, and he's played by Juan Ridinger? Ridinger? I don't know. And then Houston Gray, the psychic medium, is played by Mackenzie Gray. Spelled correctly. He's hilarious. Might I say. Correct. He's my
0: favorite character of the movie. (laughs) He's funny. His reactions are so funny. I know. So... His lines definitely weren't scripted in the movie, let me tell you. Synopsis. It
1: starts out telling you that the movie is about a ghost hunting reality TV show crew that was filming for their next episode when things went wrong. And this is the producer that says it. And then that's basically his whole part. Yeah. And
0: he's like, this
1: is the real footage.
0: Because, you know, they have to make it sound all, like, epic, even though in reality it's like, oh, look, there's a, there's a dust speck. <laughs> and then it
1: goes to the crew, introducing the abandoned Collingwood Psychiatric Hospital, where odd phenomena and ghostly happenings have been reported for many years since it was shut down. This hospital is known for being a site where frontal lobe lobotomies and other unsightly medical practices were done on psychiatric patients. The most infamous of the doctors who worked there was Dr. Friedkin. And then, just in case you didn't know what a lobotomy was, that's those surgical, I guess you could call it, (laughs) practice... it's they... a nice pick in the eye. <laughs> yeah, that's basically it. Uh, we'll talk about it more, but just so you understand why they think that's so important.
0: Yeah. they And it never worked. Not right. False. But we'll talk about details
1: later. Uh, they arrive at the hospital during the day, and they start interviewing the grounds people and kids who have, like, broken in before. They get mm-hmm. to the lay of the land, set up cameras in quote, hotspots or places where activity has been witnessed. And, like, right off the bat, they show, like, how fake this TV show actually is. They pay a grounds person to make up a story about a ghost. Yeah, He's like, he's like yeah, I saw one right there.
0: They yeah. just sat there. <laughs> it's
1: all he says. You're like, oh, okay. Because they're like, Got oh, it. have you ever seen anything? And the guy's like, no. He's like, no. I just work here. And they're like, oh. For twenty dollars, could you say something? And he's like, "Oh yeah, I've seen
0: something at the window." <laughs> but my favorite are like the people that are like, "Yeah, we're the caretaker." Oh, how, well, do you think this place haunted? No, I don't really believe in ghosts.
1: <laughs> and like, then oh,
0: got it. They the crew is like
1: super cheesy on camera, and they make it sound really dramatic and all that jazz so like you understand that this is fake right off the bat
0: yeah oh, yeah and they're being like, incredibly blown out of proportion and
1: they're being goofy like that's they set that tone real quick
0: <laughs> yeah oh yeah big time
1: I think my dog is snoring I don't know if you heard that uh, they end up locking themselves into the hospital overnight with the main groundskeeper holding the key, and he's supposed to return at 6 a.m. to let them out. They wander around checking a bunch of cameras that they had set up periodically and doing, like, typical paranormal investigation stuff. Uh, And at first they're like, man, like, we haven't had anything actually happen in any of our episodes, and if we want to keep going, we've got to do something in this episode. Like, we have to find something... And it's really cheesy, and it's dumb, and the stuff they do is goofy, and like Katie said, just like the reality TV shows on TV. (laughs) Uh, But eventually, they do start having some, like, ghostly happenings, and then one of the investigators goes missing, right about the time where they're like, we should get the fuck out. So the remaining crew tries to, like, bust down the doors, and when they do, they find out basically that the building is alive and the doors that they came through that were locked that's the entrance end up leading them into just more hallways and so it's basically just giant maze that they can't escape in addition how
0: they make reference to that too when like you're first going through in the daylight they're like man this is so like -like." (laughs) maze-like yep most most places like that are (laughs) uh
1: they do A good job just being really frustrated (laughs) and being like, like, we need to calm down. There's the one person that's like, we need to calm down. And everybody else is like, how the fuck are we supposed to be calm? That's basically the whole movie. Yeah. Um, They are also experiencing some weird time warp thing. Like they frequently draw reference to what time it is and being like, oh, we should have, like it's eight o'clock in the morning. We should have been let out, but it's still dark outside. Like what is happening? So, you know, something crazy is going on. And then basically the ghosts start haunting them and plucking them off one by one, taunting and teasing them as they go. It ends up with Lance, the lead investigator, being alone in the basement. He happens upon a surgical room where Dr. Friedkin was doing unofficial experiments on patients. And in that room he also finds a demonic worship altar and like a spell looking book area. So, clearly, this doctor was doing some Cult of thorn type stuff. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) There was no tent-like symbol, just for the record. Uh, Then he sees some ghost demon nurses, and Dr. Friedkin walks in, and they start doing something to a patient. The ghosts turn and see him. They attack him. He gets a lobotomy, and it ends with him still being trapped in the hospital, having had the lobotomy and that's how it Yeah. Quick thoughts on this movie? I really liked it, cause I get that it's meant to be a cheesy goof thing, but the reason I like liked it, is it when I was a kid. <laughs> the jump scares are pretty good. It's it's a jump scare movie. It's not a subtle like yeah suspense movie. It's a jump scare movie. Yeah. Um. So the jump scares are good. The CGI in it is by no means spectacular. <laughs>
0: Um it's it's wonderful.
1: It's just what you would expect to see from a haunting movie that is Yeah. Cheesy based on real life kind of a thing. Because those are like the hauntings that they experience are the type of stories that you hear people say. You know, like, mm-hmm. oh I saw a girl in the room and she her back was turned to me and then she turned and her eyes were black and like it's the those stories put into this movie which is kind of why I like it Um, it is just a culmination of everyone's supernatural expectations Katie (laughs) take us through our graveyard and haunts
0: so as everybody knows there always has to be a graveyard in in any sort of like haunting movie in the world because that's just how they 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 all go together so the first to die is Houston, he's the medium, um, and he gets strangled in one of the hallways that they had placed, like, a camera for its history of happening. Sorry. For its history of happenings. I gotta say, I love how they put the, the taped Xs on the floor just like they do in, like, Ghost Adventures and stuff. <laughs> like, exactly to, the, like, the thing. And Then, TC, uh, the, the main camera guy, he gets pulled into a haunted tub where a girl was said to have committed suicide by slitting her wrists uh this was also one of the locations of one of the like tripodd cameras and he disappears they they tip the tub and, which is now full of a of bloody water and there's nothing else in it it's just bloody water that's it he he disappears into the water world um yeah so a lot
1: of these in the movie um they just disappear and you don't mm-hmm. know... They don't give any conclusion of them being found the next day or... Yeah, none of it. Or, like, where they disappeared to. Um, that's the one thing that, like, really irks me about this movie. Because I would have it loved... just leaves them. Yeah, I would have loved if at the very end, it showed the guy coming at 6 a.m. and opening the
0: doors and just finding their bodies everywhere. Yeah. It'd make more sense, to be honest. Um... Matt, the tech specialist, is the third to die, and he's also, like, he's first to really get fucked by the entities. Like, he's the one that, like, really is like, fuck, fuck, they're after, they're real, everything's real.
1: He's <laughs> the one who goes missing.
0: Yeah. He's collecting a camera from the third or fourth floor room, which which the window is, like, often found jar, despite, you know, being locked. Stuff, like the caregiver was saying. Um, but it just so happens to be the only room with windows that, you know, don't have bars on them in a sanitarium and stuff.
1: Yeah, um, that seems weird to me. Yeah,
0: why they don't, like, why those, those, and they're big windows too, which is like the other thing. So it would only make sense for those ones specifically to be barred. There was a lot of cupboards in that room,
1: though, which makes me think that maybe it was supposed to be like a break room, maybe. Um, So patients weren't expected Possible. to ever be in there. That's the only thing I can come up with as to why it, there were no windows on the... Yeah. no bars on the windows.
0: But either way, he gets snatched up and is missing until the crews find him in a room dressed as a patient and speaking incoherently. So it's like he gets driven mad and by being kidnapped by something he can't see. Yeah, you also have <laughs> no idea what happens to him. They don't... Oh, yeah. He's got like You don't no, get any... No explanations. There's yeah, nothing of that sort. He
1: has no lobotomy bruising around his eyes, so you know that didn't happen... Um, he doesn't appear to have been like electroshocked, but I don't know if that would have actually left marks.
0: Uh, they just they give. I feel like it would next to like the temples at least.
1: They just give zero explanation as to how he went crazy or what happened to him.
0: Yeah. So after TC dies, the remaining three are trying to find their way out, and they get chased by a bald man entity while Lance and Sasha are holding the door closed. Um, to keep him out. Matt picks up a camera and falls headfirst down the elevator shaft, committing suicide on, on film. And he's like laughing. It's weird. Yeah, it's I. What I want to say during that is like it's not just him like committing suicide. I almost say like he was like somewhat possessed, and it was just like, hey, you're gonna go. <laughs> so <laughs> kind of thing
1: that ties into I think what they brought into the second film, uh, which we'll talk about. Otherwise, it is just him being like, oh, look at me.
0: Oh. We're going to go down here. So, yeah. Then, in the most dumbest, stupidest, and disappointing part of this entire fucking movie, and, um, is... It's <laughs> it's what Izzy thinks is a pretty decent movie otherwise. And this is where the super shitty dumb things happen. While wandering the basement tunnels, Sasha gets enveloped in a foggy mist thing and just disappears. It's there's, so... There's no trace. and There's nothing.
1: It's literally... It just looks like a pipe burst and... Yeah!
0: Like and steam. she just walks past it. It's gone.
1: And they're like, where are you? And then she's just... Yeah. Gone. I hate it. Yeah. I was like, listen, you've been doing all these really cool jump scares this whole time, and then like at just... least at least
0: kill her of some sort or something.
1: Yeah, or have something pull her into the walls, or you know do anything other than some random foggy mist.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, if you want to do the foggy thing or the mist thing, go watch the fog or the mist. Even that <laughs> Those is are creepier, decent movies. You know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So the fate of Lance is left with. <laughs> Like left a little ambiguous. Like there's not there's not really a conclusion to whether he dies or not. Um, after, cause he does he did he does get lobotomized. <laughs> is that the, is that a word? Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, but he flips the camera back on like on him and says. He said I'm I'm all better now. I can finally go home. Followed by his famous intro for Grave Encounters. Lance Preston signing off, and then the screen cuts to black. So you don't get any any sort of idea of what the hell actually is going like happen or any of that stuff. And so basically, all the places previously identified as hotspots where the cameras were all placed did indeed film a murder or disappearance of one of the crew. What a coincidence. Yeah,
1: go figure. Um, I would like to say, spoiler alert, he doesn't get to go home.
0: <laughs> no, no, yeah, that's that's not a real thing. He doesn't get to go home. He says he he says he's allowed to, but he doesn't get to. I feel it's, like that happens in a lot of mental movies where they're like, "Yeah, you're free to go home," but in reality, they like take you to another room and they just leave you locked there for like <laughs> the rest of your life.
1: It would have been cool too if, like, at the end, where I said they showed the guy opening the door and everyone was murdered, if Lance Preston had been the one,
0: they like made killing it all of them. Yeah,
1: look like he had just broke and killed everybody.
0: Um, that would have been cool.
1: But I get I get the allure of having like an ambiguous ending and not knowing where stuff or where people
0: go. But... Do you think that was their main idea so they could possibly lead into a second one if they wanted to? I don't know if it was
1: intentional as to leave it open for a second movie. Because even if you ended it with them being found, they still could have done a second movie in a very similar fashion where kids are going oh yeah yes that's true what really happened there uh i think it's just part of leaving people wondering and wanting to know more uh like what happened just leaving
0: the questions unanswered so it can sit there in your head
1: yeah for some people that's even creepier than
0: it annoys the shit out of me <laughs> yeah it bothers me too <laughs> i just i just want to know the no i just want to know what happened and i'm like
1: Where the fuck did he go in the tub?
0: (laughs) Why? There's no draining system. What the fuck? And then you're
1: like, is he dead? Is he just transported to a different part of the hospital? I don't know. It's weird. I don't like those questions.
0: So, what what was was your favorite haunt or death?
1: Okay. My favorite death? I mean, I thought the bathtub one with TC was really cool just because it is like uh, this the haunted I guess the ghost of the girl that killed herself there Mm -hmm. she just like randomly jumps up snatches him and pulls him down and then it really is just like where the fuck did he go I think that one's cool I would Um, agree the creepiest haunt part I don't know that part's just I think that's just a good scene I like that scene Cause it is just some creepy ghost at the bottom of some tub.
0: Yeah, homeboy with like the long ass arms is like reaching through the fucking, like hole in the wall kind of thing. Oh yeah, that's a good one too. I like that, but I think that's I think that's like the creepiest aspect to this whole movie to me though, is like what the fuck is that thing in reality?
1: Yeah, cause all the other ones are very human like. That's the least. Human exactly. of them. That's true. Maybe that's the demon entity thing that they brought in.
0: Which oh yeah, that's possibly. I that's... like that guy. He's he scared me, I and mean, when he came chas- chasing after him, that was probably rough. About roughly about like, my favorite scary part of this movie.
1: <laughs> that's another thing is they introduce like this demonic part of it and then you don't really get to see you him. have
0: no idea why besides like the demonic altar that is found in the doctor's room but you don't get any explanation of like what kind of demon or anything of that or, sort yeah
1: like what his goal was which is why i said like the cult of thorn because
0: yeah yeah there's no explanation was, it's just there for a second and I'm gone
1: yeah he was trying to find some sort of immortality thing or f- summon a demon to either cause people to be psychotic
0: oh i'm sorry hiccups
1: or fix their <laughs> mania. I don't know. I mean, he was doing a lot of surgical...
0: I was going to say, why is it always like, a, like an insane asylum with a doctor who always has to do random crazy experiments on these people instead of just... Because
1: we talked about it in our <laughs> From Hell one, but back then, people in insane asylums, like nobody cared for them.
0: They did bring that up in, in the... um. In this one like when they're doing one of the interviews with the i think it's like the owner of the sanitarium at the time or something like that where he's just like people just bring their their sad family or like the family members that were having problems they were embarrassment so they just leave them here and leave them
1: yeah and they don't they weren't and in reality
0: like that did happen but
1: and there wasn't a lot of oversight and it was easy to just dismiss any complaints that they had as their like psychosis yeah um they could be like oh that doctor is murdering people and they'd be like
0: oh that's just you're just seeing things Yeah, that's just <laughs> part
1: of his mental state
0: so um along with like jump scares and things like that you're not gonna get some of the messages won't won't come across the way you want it unless you have the proper lighting in instances and obviously like in these kinds of movies you're not supposed to have like the on point lighting of like something being super dim in the ground or like the foreground but I like, think <laughs> one thing I really like is you know all these ghost shows and stuff like that they try and like debunk the the hauntings of things and one thing you see in this is like when they're in the tunnels in the basement when they're first going through during the daylight uh somebody behind the girl behind Sasha her him Sasha right i think
1: i think they pronounce it Sasha
0: but Sasha okay either way um so they they're videoing behind her and she's you see it out of her camera they cross behind her like the light does and all of a sudden you see like a shadow on the wall and she gasps and she's like <gasps> and they're like what 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 she goes back and she goes oh it's my shadow and they debunk it so at least there's like somewhat of sort of debunking in this situation <laughs> because a lot of people won't call like attention to certain debunking like de- debunkins. Um... <laughs> i like it <laughs> thanks or we're gonna just stick with it they don't call a lot of debunkins. they um they just kind of keep going or like they're like oh did you see that little like orb fly across the screen it's like that is clearly a piece of dust, dude. Like,
1: or when please. they they do the voice recording parts and they yeah, that. and they're like, did you hear that? And I was like, that literally sounds like white noise.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're like, they're like, did you hear that? It said this, and you're like, it didn't say anything. And then they put like the lyric, the like words up on the screen, and you're like, okay, so now you're trying to like make me hear that. Yeah. Because that's what you want to hear. Exactly. So that always drove me nuts, but but they so yeah. In yeah.
1: this movie, they do like. They're trying to fake it, but at the same time, they're not actually faking it. If that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but the for the lighting in this particular movie, since you brought it up so so <laughs> well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the vicious brothers did an interview with Steven Sato perhaps in 2011. And they mentioned that they really like what they called hard light horror, which is basically where they have only one light source and it's coming from the camera itself or like a flashlight. So it's your visibility is super limited.
0: Yeah, it, which makes sense, especially for these kinds of movies, but
1: exactly. And it's uh, I I mean, ideally there's no, Real electricity going to this place, probably. So it would make sense that they aren't going to turn on the lights and stuff like that. And yeah. it's a form of suspense because as they're turning corners, you're like, what the fuck is going to happen beyond the Am light? Am I going to see anything? Like Exactly. And then you, you are forced to only see what they can see. So if they're looking at the floor, you can't see what's going on around them. So right. you don't know what's going to happen until they turn the camera up.
0: Which that does drive me nuts.
1: <laughs> it is, it is great for jump scares, but like we've said before, we really like to see what's going on
0: in the background because I, you know, we're like, the people that almost pays more attention to like background scenes at times than like the actual like main idea of what's going on. Yeah, because I always just because I want to catch those things exactly. Uh, but yeah. what
1: annoyed me most about the lighting, <laughs> so. When the medium gets killed, you can tell he's like in pitch black because he's like stumbling through the hallway and he's staring forward and feeling the wall. Mm -hmm. But there's clearly a light source hitting his face from the camera that's stationed on the wall. Yeah. And the whole time, I'm like, "Dude, just grab the camera, cause camera." Yeah, you
0: can... It has the recording light. Exactly. That little red light is there. You know where the fuck that camera is. So just but grab it. He
1: doesn't see any of them, and he's like looking directly where the camera should be. And I'm like, "Dude, grab the camera!" But he can't see it, and that's the one scene that continuity-wise drives me nuts. Because I'm like, I well, know, like you if you're can
0: feeling around, you're gonna end up kicking that tripod. You're gonna end up knocking over the camera on accident of some sort or something like that to the point where you're like oh camera grab it I can see yeah, so, uh, yeah.
1: that was the one thing that drove me nuts because his face is clearly has a light it's source. it's bright it. you can see it yeah and I get that like it's in the movie and blah blah but that's not the point even if there was just that little red recording
0: light you'd be sh- able to see that in a very pitch black room Yeah, it would was, stand out he would have seen that yeah yeah so lighting aspects, that's that. Yeah. <laughs> Not a, You don't get a lot of, like, big lighting aspects in these in these kinds of movies. Obviously, they're trying to go for that, like, single light source kind of situation and stuff. And so, yeah, it drives us people slightly nuts.
1: <laughs> I know this has nothing to do uh, with lighting, but it just... You just sparked my memory of this. Um, so mm-hmm. there's this scene where they're, like, hiding in a pantry or something. And Lance Preston is holding the camera, and he's pointing it at his face like he's doing a video journal. And it's kind of off-center, and he is, like, stressed out. He's like, oh, I don't know if we're going to live, blah. But there's a movie, and I swear it's in one of the scary movies, uh, where the camera is really close, and it's copying that scene. And every time it, like, turns back to her, she's got more and more snot, like, running down her oh, face. Oh, no, no, no,
0: no, no, no. That's, that's copying the Blair Witch Project. It's making fun of that movie. Okay. And I know exactly what you're talking about. But yes, that isn't a scary movie one. It's <laughs> so when she's running away with her cameraman, Kenny. She's like, damn it, Kenny, keep up with me. And then she's re- she's recording herself because in, in the Blair Witch Project movies, that's what she does. And like, she's crying. There's tears running down her face Like she's freaking out. So like, how much funnier could we do with all the snot running out of her nose? Okay. So I, yeah, that's off of that movie. But which, it's the same idea. It's it's literally the same idea. It's a found footage movie, but they're in the woods rather than this movie in was a sane
1: inspired partially by that movie, so that makes sense. But yeah, when I yeah. saw that scene, that's all I could think of. <laughs>
0: Was the yeah. snot running down her face? <laughs> yeah. I just want to say I'm sorry to Kenny's family and yeah, back to <laughs> Grave Encounters. So paranormal uh, reality shows as Katie huge said. Huge at that time. Yeah,
1: when this Massive. Movie came out. They were getting a lot of
0: let's see. Notoriety. We had there was there was Ghost Adventures. There was Ghost What was the other one? Ghost Encounters?
1: I don't know. The only one that I remember anything about is where they would put families in haunted places and give them all the materials to do the investigation.
0: Paranormal Witness, The True Terror, I've heard of that one. Obviously Ghost Adventures, um Paranormal Lockdown, Paranormal Lockdown. There's so many. I swear like all I did is just google paranormal TV shows. Dude, I this is ridiculous how many there are out in this world. Like I just constantly like And then
1: some of these people did really well for themselves as paranormal investigators uh, because, as we've said in some of the other episodes, they've gone on to purchase haunted houses like the Conjuring Farmhouse, Ghost Encounters Group, or whatever. I think they just, they're the ones who bought the Lizzie Borden home.
0: The Ghost Hunters one?
1: Not, it's not ghost hunters it's a different one that starts with Ghost. i don't know but one of those really big okay. tv ones they just went on to buy the lizzie borden family home
0: fucking lucky assholes i would love to own that house
1: <laughs> um so like they I well mean, they, they clearly do well for themselves
0: well yeah i was gonna say zach baggins with ghost adventures he has four different like Halloween or like ghost paranormal tv shows but he also has that museum out in las vegas now with all the artifacts. He even has, like, some of the Warrens' artifacts from, like, The Conjuring and stuff.
1: Lizzie Borden House, a bed and breakfast and museum. <laughs>
0: oh, so we, so we can go. Yeah. So we should go. So we should go.
1: As you can tell, this show goes uh, either way. People really liked it or they didn't like it <laughs> at all. Yeah. And... One critic of the show wrote that this film was just the same thing over and over in a copy of bad horror reality shows, which I feel like is how you feel, Katie.
0: My thoughts. My thoughts, exactly. Secretly, you don't know that I'm the critic that wrote that. Just kidding.
1: (laughs) In the interview that Vicious Brothers did, they actually say that they had done like that was their intent. They did that on purpose. They were trying to parody those shows. He also says that those shows are exactly that. It's the same thing over and over in every episode where people wander through the dark with gadgets and hope and pray they get something tangible. But he threw an actual twist into this movie by they actually having a haunting. <laughs> right. And it's all fun and games until the myth of the murdering maid is true or whatever happens in those kinds of shows. And... So basically, to you and that critic, I say thank you for describing exactly what they were going for. You understood the movie to the T, which means they did a great job,
0: (laughs) or they did it too plainly that it was just super boring. But it wasn't boring. There's lots of jump scares. Yeah, but I feel like you can only have so many jump scares before you're just like, "This is too many. I'm I'm done." Every corner you turn around, there's gonna be a fucking jump scare. But it wasn't like that because there
1: are plenty of times where that's true, and then there's like subtle hauntings that you see before the crew even sees. uh, Like you're like, ooh, the wheelchair happen. The wheelchair Mm -hmm. like slowly moves in the background, and you think something's gonna happen, and then it doesn't until a little bit later. But yeah, it's a good combination. Um, As I said, I can appreciate what they were going for, which is part of the reason why I like it. But it's Mm -hmm. not for everybody, I guess. So. Since we've already been talking about the Vicious Brothers, uh, let's do some behind-the-scenes. Ooh. Ooh! Sorry. <laughs> uh, so they did film this over two days and ten nights. They did have to film at night in this place because the lighting, they wanted to actually get the lighting. I can't
0: imagine. I cannot imagine what it, like what they would do to try and film during the day at that place. Like It just wouldn't work.
1: Yeah, it... They yeah. Yeah. They would have had to like build it on a set and then have it be dark.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Forbes magazine, as we said, placed it in the top 10 horror movies of 2011-2012. The New York Press called it the scariest film since The Ring. I wouldn't go that far maybe, but
0: I definitely wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I don't think it was like scary.
1: There was jump scares, no. but it wasn't like it haunted you. <laughs> so Yeah.
0: It's not, like, something that, like, you're going to go home and be scared to, like, open a door because of or something like that. Yeah, it's, like, something
1: happened in your face and you jumped and then you giggled afterwards because you were, like, like oh, at I'm least
0: I'm so silly. At least for in joking. the ring. Yeah, at least in the ring, like, I was scared to fucking answer a phone for, like, a good, like, four days.
1: <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. uh, Jeanette. Kat Sulis, I don't know, the New York of the New York Times, said the film is beating a dead horse, citing films such as Paranormal Activity and the Blair Witch Project, adding that there is nothing new in this film. Uh, the Vicious Brothers report that they set themselves apart from these films by having a more in-your-face horror haunting experience, while those two movies, it's the haunting is like more implied, is what, what they put. Uh, I don't. I wouldn't say Paranormal Activity is an implied haunting. No, I wouldn't either. Um, the Blair Witch Project, I can get that. You don't really see anything until the end.
0: Yeah, exactly. There's a Blair Witch video game that I have downloaded. That I really want to play. Sorry, <laughs> really random. So their their initial concept concept had a more like realistic portrayal of ghosts. So more likely, um, it's a lot of what you see in like the the horror reality shows rather. Than like being it really close up in your face and you're always like, Oh my god, there's a ghost. It's very subtle. Which um, they
1: started um with the, as I said, like the wheeling
0: Yeah, the the what wheelchair. Yeah, the wheelchair door slamming. Yeah. yeah. Um in their interview with Sa- I think it's Sato, the Vicious Brothers detailed that they eventually decided to make it more of an in your face horrifying like horror film to then rather than a re- like a real show of paranormal investigators investigators gone wrong investigators is a new word apparently um but uh so so instead they finally just were like we're gonna make this a throw-it-in-your-face ghost story rather than something subtle like a tv show that you can watch every day but you say
1: that that's like a paranormal investigation gone wrong but wouldn't it be a paranormal investigation gone right
0: because they actually An incredibly right <laughs> to write the fact that they're dead <laughs> like, um, That like, went a little too, uh, too on the spot yeah
1: that went a little too well uh, we just wanted to show that you existed i didn't actually need to be friends i didn't want with to die you. yeah <laughs> but uh, okay <laughs> i didn't want to become you i just wanted to meet you
0: <laughs> but i guess
1: we're here now So, the Vicious Brothers would elicit real scared reactions from the stars in some of their scenes. I couldn't tell you which scenes exactly this happened. Right. Um, I I can guess which scene they're talking about, but I don't know. So, they said there were times when they'd set up a hallway of horror, as they would call it, where they'd have the actors walk from point A to point B down this long stretch of hallway, and then... The two of them would be watching them from monitors and like running around in the rooms that were like off the hallway. So, picture like a Scooby Doo hallway.
0: Yeah, that's basically it. (laughs) Like what they're like all the doors that they're running in and out of. Yeah,
1: exactly. And so, these two would be like in the rooms, watching and waiting for them to walk by. And then they would like slam the door, and the stars wouldn't know which rooms they were in or what was going to happen. Um, I think they would tell them like, okay, for this scene, you're just going to walk from here to there and babble to yourself. And they're like, oh, okay. And then all of a sudden they'd get like, they'd slam the doors. I, I, and... Like a
0: genuine, like a, a genuine, genuine scare. You're yeah. just making up words left and right today. <laughs> I am all over with these fucking fake words, but they're there. <laughs> they
1: also, in a lot of these scenes, used cameras that the crew was holding. So they would film scenes three or four times because they do one with, like, professional cameras. They do a second one with the actors holding their own cameras in filming. They do another one with a different camera. I don't know. But they did it, like, three or four times so that they could get all of these different perspectives and then mash them together in the post-production. So that's kind of cool. Like, that makes sense as to why... Things were so blurry, <laughs> and yeah, and when they're running, like it's actually them running around and stuff.
0: So this was filmed at Riverview Hospital, which is a mental institute in. Uh, how did you say that? It's Coquitlam. Coquitlam. Okay, I didn't know for sure. <laughs> it's.
1: I think it's named after the Native Americans or Native Canadians. I guess they would be called. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, it's Native Americans. But it's in it's um, in
0: Brit- it's in British Columbia.
1: It's named after their tribe, but it's spelled not like their way at all.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So the hospital's West Lawn, East Lawn and Crease uh, Clinic buildings were the most popular filming spots. Um, they were used in other films and TV shows such as Saw, Watchmen, Smallville Fringe, The Butterfly Effect, The X-Files, Supernatural, Romeo Must Die, and a- Along Came a Spider along with Deadpool 2. So it's been in a shit ton of movies. Yeah, it's really big. (laughs) Yeah, it's a a well-known place for, you know, for for filming and stuff. But it had received funding and new facilities that were built. And so in 2019, they had begun moving patients from other facilities into the grounds. Um, And a lot of these were mostly youth programs that were just being, like, rehomed. So fun side note, the community has really been trying to incorporate the native uh quickly i'm sorry can you help me with that one again same thing quick quetlam quick quetlam quick okay um tribal community so it's it, they're really been trying to incorporate that back into the community so
1: basically from what i understood is they the quetlam tribal community these were their lands and in typical white people fashion we took them
0: took over mm-hmm. yeah
1: they built this huge thing on them and then when it got shut down eventually sorry i hit my microphone they gave back some of it i don't know how that worked not that they like did what they probably should have done but they gave them back some of the land and then i think they're working together to make it a cool place but the quick tribal community there actually donated some sort of I think it's like a canoe or something to the youth programs that are there as like a sign of we support
0: this or something like that that's really cool yeah um so the first ward for the psychiatric hospitals were opened in 1913 uh, with the intent to house men with extreme psychiatric needs it was called the male chronic building and it was quickly filled to double the capacity with over 900 patients That's a lot of people in a very small building.
1: It makes you wonder how many of them were actually needed to be in a full-time care facility and how many of them
0: were just put there and left. Yeah, or like they
1: had minor, what nowadays we would call like
0: minor things, uh, but they just didn't know how to handle it back then.
1: So yeah. that's where they were. Um,
0: followed by 1922, the Boys Industrial School for Juvenile Delinquents opened on that site as well. In 1924, the Acute Psychiatric Unit opened. And in 1930, the Female Chronic Building was opened. Then in 1934, the Veterans Block opened for shell shock patients from the First World War. That, I can't imagine what that would be like. That is shell shock, is what we call PTSD now. Right. Um, it was also originally intended to serve as the grounds for the botanical gardens of Bri- British Columbia, which I, I feel like is very contradicting.
1: <laughs> it's not, because at that time, there was a really big belief that being outdoors and among plants and everything was really good uh, for your health. And yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Was good for their mental health and everything like that. Plus, yeah. it gave them something to do outside. Uh, As far as like that, does make
0: that that makes a lot more more sense. Yeah, thinking about it before I said it was like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So, this
1: was a site where they would do you know, electroshock therapy and things like that. Um, I looked up stuff about electroshock because, to be honest, besides what's in scary movies, I don't know anything about it. It turns out that electroshock therapy is still practiced, Um, but in certain places. But it's been refined, so it's, quote unquote, like safer. Um, mm-hmm. And of course, in movies, they're gonna play off of this and make it like the most horrific, extreme,
0: thing. yeah, exactly. Like I think of, um, I think of American Horror Story when you like straight up see everything from like the the things being placed on our temples and all that. So,
1: so yeah, you, like that's the image of it that everybody sees. Um. Yeah but at this particular facility electroshock therapy was still going on into the early 2000s and the health minister gave the okay to continue doing it and i think people were really shocked by that because again we nobody takes It's the time. misconstrued. Yeah. Nobody knows what's actually happening. They just see the original <laughs> details of it. So yeah. electroshock therapy originates from a practice of inducing seizures which started in 1934 in order to treat psychiatric diseases. The first documented and successful human trial of electric current shock therapy was in Italy in 1938. Currently, the practice is known as modified ECT, and it uses muscle relaxants to avoid the physical dangers of a seizure. So, you know how they, like, shove... In the movies, they always are shoving stuff in their mouths.
0: Yeah, they put, like, the belt or cloth or something.
1: Yeah, so this molex muscle relaxant by giving that they don't have to worry about that kind of stuff happening
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: they are anesthetized before this shock happens so they're not awake or anything like that and they don't they're not supposed to feel any pain or anything from the electricity carrie fisher who if you don't know is an a was oh. an incredible human <laughs> being but
0: she played she wonderful
1: leia in star wars yeah. She used electroconvulsive therapy to help with her depression, and she is very outspoken about it and the yeah, things oh yeah. that it did for she her. She was. So I had no idea. So that's cool. Uh, fun aside, her ashes are in an urn designed to look like a Prozac pill, I read. Mm. Uh, and that's kind of like her- I
0: wonder in- how her daughter feels about that. <laughs>
1: that I, That's like her fun aside of being like, yes, I'm depressed, and- people seek help but like yeah yeah (laughs) so so you got this okay another thing that was practiced in this facility and i'm sure in many others was forced sterilization there was a law at some point in time in british columbia that allowed sterilizations in cases where the children of mentally I'm sorry, of mental health patients would inherit the mental illness or disability. So you had to prove that whatever this patient was diagnosed with was heritable. And then that gave the doctor's permission without patient consent to sterilize these women. I think it was mostly women. I don't think men got sterilized.
0: That Uh, makes sense.
1: Wish that was old news. Anyways.
0: um,
1: They would sterilize them to prevent them from having like passing on yeah exactly
0: and passing on this whole mental illness and stuff there which if that was still going on fuck elliot and i would not be alive
1: (laughs) yeah i don't know what exactly they defined as like being bad enough to pass on
0: yeah or if it was maybe like schizophrenia or something
1: yeah or if it was anything that could be passable i don't know yeah But there's a group of 19 women who successfully sued the hospital for forced sterilization because they did not meet the criteria set forth in that bill. And they ended up getting a settlement from the hospital. So this was after. Good. I think it was after it had closed down. These women found out they got sterilized. I don't think they even knew that that had happened to them. That's so sad. (sighs) um, They ended up getting their medical records or something. They found a lawyer who was able to prove that what they were sterilized for wasn't... Didn't meet the bill. So that sucks. There's probably far more people that that happened to, but they're just the ones that are publicized. Hmm. And then there's a Globe and Mail online story, which is like a website, I guess, or a newspaper. I don't know. uh, Published in 2014, featured the asylum from the perspective of a patient named Teresa Balfour. And this is a quote that I pulled from that article of something she said. Riverview was a very scary place, said Miss Balfour, whose brother Michael died in its East Lawn facility in 1990. You didn't know if you'd ever get out. I think I also read a story where when they started closing it and moving patients out, there was a girl who was born there and raised there. And like that was
0: her whole life was that hospital, which blows my mind. That is amazing because also... Ugh. That's terrible. Mm. Nope. <laughs> so in ni- in the nineteen fifties and sixties, mental health approaches uh, changed, and the med and the medications became more accessible to those who needed it. So that uh, so that meant ooh, two that's at the same time, they had a choice to be functional members of society instead of just being a locked away, being locked away forever. This facility at the time was a housing for was housing for more than. More than forty three hundred patients. That's fucking ridiculous. <laughs> um, this move to more outpatient services and a lack of funding caused it to close in nineteen eighty three, and the last patients were moved out weren't moved out until two thousand ten. Apparently, it's a long time to just be sitting in there. Yeah, I don't
1: know if it just took them that long to find outpatient facilities for them to go to or if they just weren't in a hurry to move them. I'm not really sure what happened there. Well,
0: that's nearly 30 years so
1: but it's they, a long time. They like stopped taking inpatients in 83. Uh, so because we as we've said <laughs> know how awful mental hospitals were Uh, whether through real stories or horror movies or whatever have you, it is the site of some rumored haunting encounters. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I could not find any specific stories that people had of a common vision that's been Hmm. seen there. All the articles I found mostly just said, oh, people hear footsteps or they... Like, it's mostly just hearing things, children laughing you know, really overdone haunting
0: type. I was gonna say the normal stuff that you hear, yeah, it's, <laughs> of places. There weren't a lot of stories. Original like, stories. Yeah, yeah, it, it's like not, original based on that place. I guess. Yeah,
1: like a woman in white, or I saw this patient who was treated here. You know, it, I didn't nothing like that. Yeah,
0: uh, it's not like super detailed or anything like that. It's just a generic story.
1: The Vicious Brothers were inspired by stories from the Institute and incorporated some into the script. The only one that I could really find (laughs) was the windows being open in the morning after they were checked and locked. The groundskeeper did tell them that story, which is why they included that. A crew member swears that he was pushed down a flight of stairs while filming on site for another show. I think he was doing X-Files at the time. And so huh. that's why they incorporated that in the film. TC does have a point where he says he gets pushed down the stairs. And then on the Ghosts of Vancouver site, they listed Riverside as the number 1 haunted attraction in Vancouver. So, huh. as I've said, I couldn't find any specific stories. All it says is crew members and security guards see shadow figures, apparitions of former patients and staff, phantom dogs, strange lights, objects moving. Some hear disembodied footsteps, voices, doors and windows banging, patients' bells ringing in empty wards, which is creepy as fuck because we've talked about bells. Yeah. Uh,. A comment on a page about this haunted site said, I was there in 1997 and I saw an old woman in white and she was coming up the stairs at North Lawn. I was holding the door open for her and the nurse I was with said not to hold the door open. There was no one there. So that's like the only specific story I could find. (laughs) Interesting. There is a YouTube video called The Creepy Story of Riverview Hospital and I was so stoked to watch it. It was a load of garbage. So <laughs> here's what it says. It tells the story of a patient named Mary Sinclair who was admitted. It says 1913, but women weren't on the facility until the 1930s.
0: Right. That's the that's, 1913 was when it opened, right?
1: Yeah. So I don't yeah. really know where that came from. Uh, it says that she had murdered her three children. The picture it shows, there's like five children in the picture. So that was a little random. She was self-harming. While she was in the facility. So they tried electroshock therapy. But during one of the procedures. She bit her tongue off and bled to death. That's what the report says. And then this little TV series thing. Is like or did she. Dun dun dun. dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then it's like. Um, very dramatically. It's like newly discovered. Audio recording of the procedure. And it, it goes on to like. <laughs> be this woman screaming. And the doctor being like look, she's getting away! Quick! And it's so cheesy and dumb. And then the video, or the picture, it's like a slideshow of pictures with audio over it. Mm -hmm. The picture they show for this part, it's like an old cassette tape. uh, And on the cassette tape, it says Bruce Springsteen, born in the USA. (laughs) And I was like, what the (laughs) fuck are you doing? Like, okay. It's wild. So then they say that she, like, I don't know if... I can't remember how it ended because I was just, like, done with it at that point. I couldn't listen anymore. Um, but, yeah, it was ridiculous. Don't watch it. It doesn't have anything to do with the Riverview Hospital. <laughs> I Googled. I was really excited. It sat open on my desktop for, like, five days because I just didn't have time to watch it. And then I watched yeah, it. I'm going to watch this. I wasted my time. This is a waste of time. Fuck. Wasted. And then I tried to Google just to, you know, cross my eyes, dot my T's, whatever that phrase is. I tried to see if Mary Sinclair was actually a patient like there. a real patient. Um, I couldn't find anything about a Mary Sinclair in British Columbia that was a patient. Or any sort of newspaper clippings of a murder of three children and stuff like that.
0: Hmm. So, So, either it was a fake or it was super covered up.
1: I call bullshit. I would agree. And, with that, happy segue, uh... Let's take a deep dive into lobotomies. So, lobotomies were first practiced in the late 1880s by a Swiss physician, Gottlieb Burkhardt, who supervised in a sane asylum, because as we've talked about, that's the perfect place to practice new things on people, I guess. Yes. He used to remove parts of the brain cortex in patients suffering from auditory hallucinations and other symptoms, which... Nowadays we would diagnose people with schizophrenia if they had these symptoms. Mm-hmm. Burkhart performed his operation on six patients initially. His whole goal was just to make them manageable. It was not intended to like fix them or cure them. They weren't meant to be released back into society. He basically just wanted them to be zombies, kind of like
0: Yeah, he wanted to be able to control them rather than have like have them have outbursts and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, he didn't
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, One of Burkhardt's patients died several days following the operation. Another committed suicide at a later date. Uh, Nobody has related that suicide to the surgery specifically. But basically, it didn't do what he wanted. Yeah. It didn't really get big until a couple of American neuroscientists named Carlisle Jacobson and John Fulton presented the results of an experiment involving frontal lobe ablation, which is like... uh... burning
0: so like the oh oh okay you know, ablation
1: is like burning cauterizing oh okay in chimpanzee in chim chimpanjuge. Okay. at about the same time <laughs> a portuguese neurophysician antonia Egas moniz was testing on humans his procedure mm. involved drilling two holes in the patient's head followed by injections of pure ethyl alcohol
0: It sounds like that's going to kill your brain.
1: Should that sound familiar to any of our true crime listeners, that is because
0: serial killer
1: Jeffrey Dahmer tried to do the same thing in his victims in order to create what he wanted, a sex zombie. Yep. Dahmer's whole thing was that he just wanted to use people without actually having to put any work into it. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. he is quoted as basically saying that disposing of bodies got to be too much work for him And he was, like, literally taking showers over their bodies in the tub. And he was like, ugh, this is just uh, so exhausting. So, he was trying to create a sex zombie by drilling two holes into their head. But he was injecting bleach, which I think is a strong corrosive compared to ethyl alcohol. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Not that alcohol is good for your brain direct contact by any means. But bleach is corrosive uh, he was also using probably way too much
0: uh, oh yeah i'm sure he's yeah. a- jeffrey dahmer was not a was not a doctor by any means so yes. <laughs> uh basically he is
1: a human trash can and he failed so but he does say in some interviews as well or i don't know if he says it specifically or if it's a psychiatrist that interviewed him who says it but they do say, like, if he had been successful, he may have stopped killing people. Because then he would have just had one.
0: He would have had his sex toy.
1: Yeah. I I don't know much, but I don't think that's true. I think he still would have killed people. I think he got something out of it that we don't know. But anyways, well, I'm, sh-
0: I'm sure he did, so. He would
1: have found an excuse to do it. Mm-hmm. Um. Anywho, in 1936, another American team of neurologists... W- walter j freeman the second and james w waltz so those two coined the term prefrontal lobotomy so mostly the medical community was not on board with this procedure but freeman used the media to label it like a miracle cure and people being people began asking for it because they were like oh well i read online
0: but not really it was news you know our day and age now people oh you read this online Mm. it's fake on f- oh. on Facebook, they said it was really good.
1: Uh, so in 1945, Freeman came up with the transorbitable, transorbitable labani, mm-hmm. which, again, is closer to what we think of today. This involved the pick-like instrument being forced through the back of the eye socket to pierce the thin bone that separates the eye socket from the frontal lobe. The PICS point was then inserted into the frontal lobe and used to sever connections in the brain, presumably between the prefrontal cortex and the thalamus, if you know your brain anatomy. Your okay. anatomy. <laughs> <In>, Ew! <Cute. laughs> in 1946, Freeman performed this procedure for the first time on a patient who was subdued prior to the op- operation with electroshock treatment. Huh. This could be done in less than 10 minutes... It was mostly used by Freeman on patients with minor mental health issues. A large proportion of such lobotomized patients exhibited reduced tension or agitation, but many also showed other effects, such as apathy, passivity, lack of initiative, poor ability to concentrate, and a general decreased depth and intensity of their emotional response to life. Some died as a result of their procedure. And those symptoms also may sound familiar because... Serial killers have those symptoms and some yes. uh some serial killers have a history of uh trauma to the frontal lobe or lack of oxygen to the frontal lobe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was Dahmer or one of the other big ones, but they used to pass out as a kid. And
0: if I remember correctly, it was Dahmer.
1: Was it him and he they he would like not breathe for a little bit. Um Random side note. But. Yeah. So that's not good. You don't want to see that in people. We want them to feel empathy. <laughs> uh, it also like makes. Makes it so they can't relate. And they disassociate. I would imagine.
0: BTK. That's what it was. Oh. Okay. I knew it was one it was of those BTK. people. BTK. Big. Sorry.
1: Turd. Kangaroo. Correct. BTK. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Freeman performed the procedure for the first time in his Washington, D.C. office on January 17, 1946. His patient was a housewife named Ellen Ionesco. I feel like a lot of housewives were patients because, one, they attributed it being a woman to basically just having a lot of mental illnesses. <laughs> um, Any woman who was unhappy with her life or expressed any sort of unhappiness was labeled mentally ill in some form or fashion. Right. Uh, They had a lot of made-up mental illnesses related just to being a woman. Like, you're too emotional. We need to fix that. Uh, Her daughter, Angeline Forrester, was there the day that she got the procedure by Freeman and in an article she's quoted as saying she was absolutely violently suicidal beforehand forrester says of her mother after the transorbital lobotomy there was nothing it stopped immediately it was just peace i don't know how to explain it to you it was like turning a coin over that quick so whatever he did he did something right ellen ionesco at 88 years old in 2005 lived in a nursing home in virginia and she said he was just a great man that's all i can say But Ionesco says she remembers little about Freeman, including what he looked like. So, she did have, she did require mental help, uh, whether a lobotomy was like maybe the first thing they should have tried, I don't know. Neither here nor there. But Mm -hmm. it worked for her and she ended up being happy, I guess. Another patient, Anna Ruth Channels, suffered from severe headaches and was referred to Freeman in nineteen fifty. He prescribed a transorbital lobotomy. The procedure cured channels of her headaches, but it left her with the mind of a child, according to her daughter, Carol Noel. Just as Freeman promised, she didn't worry, Noel says. She had no concept of social graces. If someone was having a gathering at their home, she had no problem with going into their home and taking a seat too. Um Connor, my kid, the first time I took him trick-or-treating, he tried to just, like, walk into people's houses when they opened the door. <laughs> He'd be like, trick-or-treat, uh, and then just start, like, walking past them, and they would just look at me and be like, uh... Buddy, can, what are you doing? Can you get your kid out of here?
0: <laughs> Honey, no, that's not how this works. They give us the candy. We just don't go in and take it. Yeah. I mean, that might have worked for you and, me, you and me at our parents' houses, but that's because... Like, we...
1: Stranger danger, just because they have candy. <laughs> <laughs> you don't go in. <laughs> Uh, Moniz was eventually awarded the 1949 Nobel Prize for Physiology or Medicine, along with a Swiss physiologist Walter Rudolf Hess. Mm-hmm. Freeman performed a performed and supervised over 3,500 procedures for lobotomies. Uh, the practice was mostly dismissed once medications became available. Much like the sanitarium, mm-hmm. those kind of extreme measures weren't needed anymore. Freeman was definitely, like, a showboat, and he liked to make things dramatic. (laughs) So, whenever he had doctors and nurses with him, he would show off by performing, like, a two-handed lobotomy, hammering ice picks into both eyes at once. In 1952, he performed 228 lobotomies in a two-week period in West Virginia alone. He once lobotomized... 25 women in a single day
0: fuck
1: notice women like the focus is women women, for some reason
0: let's let's remember the women were the crazies for the longest of times because i mean fuck we're still written off as crazy
1: (laughs) Uh, yeah i'm not sure um i didn't really dig into that but yeah so freeman thought insanity was related to emotions Hence the women target, which <laughs> is why I think women were targeted. I said that already, sorry. They were often diagnosed as too emotional or too frail. Um, I think a lot of providers just wanted to pass them off. So they were like, oh, go see Freeman. And he would instantly just be like, let me lobotomize you, dear. One of Freeman's youngest patients was a 12 year old boy in California named Howard Dooley. He is now, I think he's like 73. But he, in 2005, he was featured in an article at the age of 56. He was working as a bus driver at the time, and he was looking to figure out more about his lobotomy as a 12-year-old. Mm. I pulled up a picture of this man. He looks so much like Hulk Hogan. <laughs> 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 and he is quoted as saying, if you saw me, you'd never know I'd had a lobotomy. The only thing you'd notice is that I'm very tall and weigh about 350 pounds, but I've always felt different. Wondered if something's missing from my soul. I have no memory of the operation and never had the courage to ask my family about it. So two years ago, I set out on a journey to learn everything I could about my lobotomy.
0: Hmm. That's really interesting.
1: His mom died of cancer when he was five, and he remembers his stepmother was very much a like a wicked Disney stepmom. Hmm he is like quoted as saying she wanted nothing to do with me and she wanted to get rid of me which is so sad yeah it is the medical records of Dooley's case in freeman's archives uh, so freeman dr freeman passed all of his medical records down to his son and so his son has everyone's medical records or had them at this time or something to that effect that's
0: that's cool not a lot of doctors do that
1: that's not cool um it should have gone into a facility where it's protected I guess
0: okay yeah that's fair that's fair but a lot of do- I mean a lot of things like that from back in the day weren't held on to in the first place though
1: yeah a lot of the ethical stuff that we do now in medical practice that's common <laughs> yeah. really didn't come about until late 80s 90s 2000s yeah uh, medicine has advanced wildly in the past like 30 years so the stuff before me... that it just blows my mind <laughs>
0: let me walk my statement back it's cool that he held on to it and like the ability to be able to like hang on to it and pass it down so some patients do have that option to go back but not just to his son like it would have been better in an actual like place where they belong like a records place but
1: okay yeah it's cool that people can find their records so
0: yeah that that's that's the cool part (laughs) the (laughs) non-ethical part of that is not cool gotcha gotcha yeah that's that's what that's what i meant so Fuck it, his stepmom, that's all I have to say though. <laughs>
1: <laughs> In his records, uh, Freeman took notes, and the notes basically say that Lou Dooley, who was the stepmother, said she feared her stepson, whom she described as defiant and savage looking. He doesn't react either to love or to punishment, which tells me that she was only punishing, um, if they say something like that. Your punishments weren't correct. (laughs) It wasn't like time out. It was like, I'm going to beat the shit out of you and you're not going to eat for a week. (laughs) Right. The notes say of Howard Dooley, he objects to going to bed, but then sleeps well. So a typical five-year-old. He does a good deal of daydreaming. And when asked about it, he says, I don't know. My kid is eight, still does that shit. I'll be like, what'd you do at school? And he's like, "I I don't know.
0: I do that to a lark and Caden. They're both like, I have no idea. I'm like, dude, you're a 13. Come on. He turns the
1: room's lights on when there is broad sunlight outside. Cool. We all do. Mm-mm. They just looked for weird random excuses to be able to do this. The Leave him there. The family decided on December 3rd, 1960 to perform this procedure, but they didn't tell Howard what they were doing. And in a journal entry dated January 4th, 1961, two and a half weeks after the boy's lobotomy, Freeman wrote, I told Howard what I'd done to him, and he took it without a quiver. He sits quietly, grinning most of the time, and offering nothing. Poor Howard says that when his stepmother realized he wasn't just a vegetable, she kicked him out, and he became a foster.
0: So she just really wanted to just leave him in the fucking hospital.
1: I think he... I think she hoped that he would either die from it or become a vegetable, and when he didn't, she somehow convinced the father to just give him to the... as a ward of the... ward to the state. Yeah. Which... Yeah. Blows my fucking mind that people are like that. I can't. Mm-hmm. Anyways, when he finally talked to his dad about it years later... Surprised he talks to his dad, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, he said the dad, she took you the stepmom I think she tried some other doctors who said there's nothing wrong here he's a normal boy and it was the stepmother's problem so doctors before Freeman told her like he's just a kid you're the one with the problem but Freeman looking for anyone to do this procedure on was like yes we'll find a reason we'll do it which tells me he didn't turn anyone away regardless of what was happening right Um, Dr. Ali Elliot, oh my lord. Elliot.
0: We have an Elliot in the family. Come
1: on. <laughs> Dr. Elliot Valenstein, who wrote Great and Desperate Cures, a book about the history of lobotomies. Hmm. He wrote that Freeman performed his final ice pick lobotomy on a housewife named Helen Mortenson in February 1967. She died of a brain hemorrhage and Freeman's career was over after that. He sold his home and spent the rest of his life traveling the country in a camper visiting old patients, trying desperately to prove that his procedure has had transformed thousands of lives for the better. He died of cancer in 1972.
0: That's a shitty karma situation. <laughs> I want to
1: say that he also performed some of these out of a van. Like, he equipped a hospital van to be able to just, like, line people up, mm. have them lay down, do it, and then they would go home. Like, it's not like they spent the night for observation. But, yeah, that's the little history of lobotomies. Um, I don't think, unlike electroshock therapy, they are not practiced today. Uh, we have better ways of dealing with...
0: And medications and stuff, too, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah.
0: At the end of the credits in the movie, though, it says no rats were eaten during the making of this film. <laughs> so at least they warned us that they didn't eat any rats. Um... But when they did a test screening, uh, the sound went wrong, and the movie wasn't picked up for distribution. So the Vicious Brothers put together a trailer and released it online, where it became a viral sensation. So for the and that's go for it. Well, I was going to say, and that's where it, got, it gained its popularity is because it really wasn't in the theaters. So
1: they made this trailer, doing like this is live footage, and so when it first came up on YouTube, people thought it was a real ghost encounter and they were like mm-hmm. losing their minds um and then tribeca films picked it up when they found out it was a video
0: or a movie, mm-hmm.
1: like a movie. and that's when it got debuted at the film festival
0: yeah so but at least no rats were eaten that's ex- what matters Because exactly. that's fucking gross
1: <laughs> <laughs> so now we're gonna take it from real world to the movie world and we'll do an autopsy of the details so in the movie the hospital is called Collingwood Psychiatric Hospital it was ran by Dr. Arthur Friedkin who was a Harvard trained neurologist who ran the facility from 1937 to 1948 known for performing experiments and lethal lobotomies on his mentally ill patients in the hospital if it's lethal it's probably not working just saying
0: (laughs) yeah you would think so at least
1: um in the movie it does show like in his dungeon-esque type place where he's doing the demon things Mm -hmm. there are pictures of him like surgically taking people apart (laughs) yeah um yeah so he was not just a neurologist he was doing far more than just a
0: he was like dr death
1: (laughs) yes he was crazy Uh, In the movie, Friedkin was murdered August 16, 1948, at the age of 58, when six of his male patients escaped from their rooms and stabbed him to death. However, his ghost stayed in the hospital and haunts it, still performing lobotomies on his undead patients and unfortunate living individuals who are foolish enough to enter the hospital. So these poor patients are dead in this world, but they're still getting tortured, which is so sad. At exactly six minutes into the film, they show a newspaper, and there's an article for the murder that says the six men broke out after midnight. Arthur Friedkin was found dead in the morning at 7.06 a.m. in a hallway off the second floor by a nurse, Brenda Campbell. Um, They did not put any of that detail in the movie for the hauntings. I think it would have been really cool. Because they do show you the timeline for what's going on in the movie. I think it would have been super cool if the hauntings had started at midnight or like after midnight when these patients should have broken out.
0: Right. It w- it would have it would have made a little bit more sense and been like a nice little addition to the movie that not everybody would have noticed.
1: Yeah, the hallway uh, should have been featured. They should have drawn attention to the second floor hallway as a site. yeah of a big murder whether it was someone getting stabbed to death or something like the medium that should have been the way he died oh yeah um there were women patients that they saw but they were in the male's ward so that's like a weird thing that bothers me too (laughs) Mm -hmm. um there's another article titled two deaths reported to police here Edwin McIntosh, age 57, was found dead in his Hotel Lotus room. He had had a severe nosebleed earlier in the day and refused medical attention. Arthur Frederick Mayhe, age 72, of Hotel Stratford, collapsed under First Avenue Viaduct at 2 p.m. after having lunch with his sister-in-law. Another article says Peeping Tom fined $100. Frank Fox, age 43, of 2723 East 6th, he was arrested December 12th at 11 p.m caught by Roy Gustavon Gust- Gustavon uh, another one says London jail called Fleet Prison had been destroyed many times there was a dog graduation and babe Ruth really did die August 16
0: 1948 and they did make a they did make a little like quote that was like oh the doctors the doctor's death like murder was outshadowed by babe ba- Ruth's death. So the whole, I was excited when I paused the
1: screen on this newspaper because I was like, oh, I wonder if they included either real things or the characters no. they made up are crew members or something. Mm-hmm. They're not. I think those stories are literally just to show that Dr. Friedkin didn't matter. Like his death was really overshadowed. So nobody really mm-hmm. investigated it. Um, But that's like another little detail thing that if they had
0: put effort into that would have been really cool. I agree. So the first real haunting the audience sees and or you see is the window opening at four hours and 26 minutes into the camera filming. So this obviously isn't the movie length. It's it's what you see in like the actual like recording screens of the cameras. It has that little countdown in the bottom right hand corner. Then the audience sees the wheelchair moving while the cameraman is on the phone with his what you assume his wife. He says darling and stuff like that. He gives a direct threat to the ghost by telling his daughter on the phone that monsters don't go to their house because he would beat them up or something. (laughs) So basically, he's like egging the fucking ghost on at that point. He's like, oh, you think you can harm me? Uh, You also see the door closes while the cameraman is in the room. Uh, And then they find the gurney overturned with the wheel spinning on the third floor as well. So those things happen like back to back. Yeah, they're they're happening. all like in immediately like starting as soon as like the hauntings happen. It's all just like back to back to back to back to back,
1: back, back. Yeah, so they don't. I tried really hard to like create a timeline of all these events based off the camera. My problem is I don't know what time those cameras started filming real time. Right. So you exactly. can tell it's four hours in, but is that like four a.m.? Did they start at midnight? Did they start at seven p.m.? That's my thing. Because if I if they had pointed. To when they had started filming, then I could say, "Oh yeah, this was after midnight. That makes yeah. sense." Uh, but they didn't. At that, they point. also
0: hear, yeah, "Yeah, yeah." They also hear footsteps above them, and then when they get, investigate the fourth floor, and Ashley's hair gets picked up while listening to her recording, asking if any ghosts are around them. Uh, if you don't want an answer, then don't ask. That's basically how this fucking goes. Um, you the should know this from free- any sort of like haunting. <laughs> They're like, We desperately
1: need a ghost to respond and then a ghost picks up her hair and she's like, What the fuck was
0: that? Yeah. <laughs> like like the medium's face in the scene is so great. Yeah. He's, like, it's they so run funny. off and
1: they're like, We wanna leave and again, if you don't wanna actually see any paranormal stuff, don't investigate. Why are you it. do
0: yeah, yeah. Why the fuck are you doing this? Like if you really don't if you're really just trying to make money off of fake investigations, don't go to a real place is fucking has stories of hauntings
1: but that's my favorite scene in this whole movie because lance (laughs) preston is like no dude we got to investigate further and then and everybody's like fuck this and the median or the medium looks absolutely terrified he's like looking around and he's like fuck this fuck
0: this he's He's, like this is bullshit we all know my power's fake and this this isn't supposed to happen that is my favorite (laughs) part so after they investigate like everything uh it's like the building becomes even more of a maze at this point. It's like once the hauntings start, it just tricks you, and the entire place is an actual maze, and you have no idea where the fuck you are.
1: <laughs> that would be so disorienting. Oh yeah.
0: Well, like the 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 uh, the tunnel in the basement, with just all the piping and stuff, like that itself would be so disorienting for me.
1: Yeah, and they are literally walking straight for days. And going absolutely nowhere. Yeah. So, a fun little side note. I don't know why I put it here in my notes, but this is where it landed, (laughs) so this is where you're going to hear it. This is how our red string brain works.
0: (laughs) Uh, Lots of red strings.
1: Side note to my side note. I had intended to take the research for this film in a totally different direction, and then as I started, it went in one direction and... So that's why it's a little disorganized and all over the place. So welcome to Izzy's Brain. Uh, (laughs) I did find a real life board certified psychiatrist. His name is Richard Gallagher. He is a professor of clinical psychiatry. So in this article, it says the United States is home to about 50, quote, stable exorcists. And that is people who are... Designated by bishops to combat demonic activity on a semi-regular basis. So it's like their part-time job. Um, And that is up from 12 a decade ago, according to Reverend Vincent Lambert. So originally there were 12 certified exorcists. And now there's 50. So Reverend Vincent Lambert is an Indianapolis-based priest exorcist who is active in the International Association of Exorcists which is a real thing. I don't know if the Warrens belonged to that group or not. I don't know how that worked, but we should look I kind of
0: doubt it, but...
1: Uh, He says that currently he receives about 20 inquiries... Oh, I'm sorry. In 2005, when this article was written, he was receiving about 20 inquiries per week, which is double the number from when his bishop appointed him in 2005. So Richard... a lot. Richard Gallagher, what his whole job is, is he goes with this reverend to investigate these things and determine whether it really is a side of a paranormal type thing or mm-hmm. if just something mental is happening. Um, right? Like abuse or something like that. And he says like I have signed off on a lot of exorcisms. I've seen paranormal things in real life. So that's just a fun side note that I threw in there for no reason at all.
0: That's okay. So, what exactly is happening with the time? Because it's all fucking squampus and screwed up in this whole movie. <laughs> it's one and, of the
1: weird details that you're like, "What is happening?"
0: Yeah, and like we and like Izzy said she tried to get like a timeline like almost built for this, but it was very hard to go off of. So, so- that being
1: said, yeah, the cameras were running the whole time. The ones they had stationed all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they don't tell you when they started filming them. Um, they do say that they're supposed to get released at 6 a.m. But yeah. morning never comes. And they just could never really escape. So yeah. they had their first real interactions with the ghost around 4 a.m. Um, So that's when... I would say the wheels are moving. So like I said, yeah. they probably set up their cameras just before midnight. And that's when they got locked in.
0: More than likely. And then
1: 4 a.m. is when stuff started happening. Uh, They get lost at 4.40. And then shit from there just goes downhill real quick. Real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Matt gets snatched in the window room around 6.50. Oh, I'm sorry around six hours and 50 minutes into the film which is roughly five thirty-two 32 a.m mm-hmm. and that is when they are like fuck we need to get out of this place and for some reason they separate into individuals and run around and gather stuff we all which, know... um, don't
0: fucking do that yeah if you're don't
1: <laughs> scared and haunted the last thing you should do is run off by yourself <laughs>
0: It's not, it's not going to help anybody. Anything. Or, well, actually, it'll, it'll help the ghost pick you off easier.
1: Uh, the team decides to start looking for him at 5.45 a.m. And the cameraman gets pushed down the stairs around 6.15-ish. So already, by the time he gets pushed down the stairs, they are past the time they should have been let out. Yes. They start packing up to go when the main lobby camera is registering 6 hours and 15 minutes which is, oh, and then at 8.34 a.m., they have busted through the front doors and realized it is a maze, like Katie said. They make it back to the lobby where they take a nap. Lance Preston starts a video diary, citing the time as one twelve p.m., which is approximately seven hours later. Oh, I'm sorry. And then approximately seven hours later, the light gets knocked over, which is their only source of light besides the cameras, uh, waking them all up. And the time confirmed for that is like 8 p.m. So they are already almost 24 hours past when they got there. And 12 hours past when they should have been released. Uh, For some reason, their food in the cooler is rotten like it's been in humid heat for months. And it's disgusting. And then in an article called Nightmare Fuel... Grave Encounters, they refer to it as reality warping, and I think this term reality warping is totally awesome because it represents how patients may have felt in that hospital. Uh, They couldn't escape, so they probably felt like it was a maze. Everything looked the same. They didn't know where they were going half the time, and they had no sense of what the time or the day was like, especially if they were locked in their rooms, so that is wild. And then basically after that, you don't really have a sense of what time it is. They just tell you like, hey, we've been wandering through these tunnels for four days now. (laughs) Or three days or whatever. Um, But there's no definite time. And then at some point the cameras do like start flickering uh, and you really don't know what time it is. But yeah, that is the timeline of like their haunting starting. (laughs) Um, The cameras that they placed Uh, it says they placed 10 cameras but you don't see all 10 camera footage Uh, the first one is the first floor which is their home base the lobby if you will Uh, I don't know what camera 2 and 3 are. Camera 4 is the second floor east hallway camera 5 is the third floor bathroom where the girl and the tub are camera 8 is the third floor patient room that's the one that has all the writing scribbled all over the walls. Which I zoomed in on. Doesn't say anything worth reading, by the way. Camera 9 is the 4th floor window room where Matt disappears. And camera 10 is the sublevel tunnels. The wheelchair hallway is on floor 3. I don't know which camera that is. The There's like this open game room looking place you see maybe once. I don't know what floor it's on and I don't know what camera it is. And then, as I said, they take photographs randomly. And I love the way they do this because they are taking these photographs. Those people, the paranormal investigators, they have no idea what they just photographed because they died, presumably, right? Um, so we, as the audience, get to see the footage before they do, which is a cool idea. But I like how it take they, shows them taking the picture and then it shows a flash of what their image showed so the first photo that's done oh and it's called spirit photography Um, yeah the first photo is of Sasha kneeling in the window room with a camera nothing of note is in the picture I had to pause the movie by the way to like view these because it happens pretty fast the second photo is a medium looking at shelves also in the window room nothing of note in there Again, in the window room, there's TC, the cameraman, in front of a door. Nothing of note. Uh, And then the next set of pictures are after Sasha gets her hair played with, around that 4.40 a.m. timeline. He takes a photo of the fourth floor hallway. And in that photo, there are a lot of orbs, right? Uh, But they're not... And Kitty, I think you would agree with me on this. These are not ghostly orbs but they are like in ghost adventures they would be like particles. yeah they'd be like look at all these ghostly orbs um they are not in photography this is called backscatter it's also called near camera reflection this happens when the camera's flash is being reflected from unfocused motes of dust water droplets or other particles some people say they're ghosts it is not it is not ghosts i'm sure there are photos of like weird light orbs that look different, but these particular ones that people say a lot are not those. Emphasis. Uh, and then there's another photo of the fourth floor, but it's a different hallway, and there does look like a gray outline of a person standing in the exit doorway. And then they take another photo of the hallway, but they take it of TC the cameraman in front of a window, and there's on the outside of the window, so looking in at TC, there's the outline of a figure and then a clear hand like being pressed against the window. Mm -hmm. Those are the only two photos that have anything ghostly in them, but it's worth pausing to look at because it was pretty cool. And that's basically Grave Encounters, the first film in a nutshell that one's worth watching go watch it oh uh it's on a bunch of those weird obscure free sites tubu voodoo veto babadoo i don't know whatever those ones are not in any main paid streaming
0: sites that was the first one now we've got grave encounters 2 which came out in october of 2012 it was directed by john poloquin didn't and... really do
1: anything else <laughs>
0: In yeah, yeah. I haven't seen him anything. I do much. Um, obsessed with the film. Uh, obsessed film student Alex Wright, uh, played by Rich Harbin Uh, these are now in the uh, cast. He's known best known for like I knew him for the One Hundred, but that's because I'm obsessed with the, the TV show The One Hundred. He's in new um. He's in new shows like There's Kung Fu on HBO or something like that. He's on Van Helsing, Bates Motel, and The Killing. So he's 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 seen a fair amount. Uh, Dylan Playfair is Trevor Thompson, the producer. He's uh, he's like hockey things and from The Descendants. So it's kind of what you know him stuff from stuff. Stephanie Bennett is the makeup artist Tessa. Leanne Lapp is Jennifer, the actress slash girlfriend. And then Howie Le- uh, Lay, I think. Uh, he is Jared Lee. He's the cameraman. And again, most of these, you don't know these people from anything really.
1: And then the same actor who played Lance Preston is back as himself. uh, What is the heck is his name? I don't know. I don't like this movie. So we're just going to blow through this. I don't have any cool extra
0: notes. Yeah, it's not that great. (laughs) Very
1: rarely will you hear us say, don't watch a movie. This is one where I'm going to say, you'll be just fine if you don't watch this movie. So a quick overview of the film. A group of film students decide to make a documentary about the original crew of Grave Encounters when the director of the bunch, Alex, gets emailed unseen footage from an anonymous source screen named Death Awaits 666. Uh, If you've seen the first movie, that's very obvious because on the doors that lead into the hospital, there's spray paint that says Death Awaits. Uh, this Death await 666 claims to live next to the hospital and that is how they got the footage. Alex, the director, becomes obsessed when he figures out that none of the cast of the movie have been seen since and the producer, he hunts him down and ends up telling him that it was all real. He and his friends decide to go to the hospital where they find a room with a table that has a Ouija board carved into it and discover the anonymous emailer is a ghost or demonic entity of some kind a guard ends up finding them because they freak out after that encounter and just as he is about to make them all leave and they are very gracious to do so by the way (laughs) yeah uh, they hear footsteps coming from upstairs they tell the guard we are literally the whole group let's just go the guard doesn't believe them runs upstairs by himself you hear shots fired off screen they go upstairs to find him he's disappeared Alex agrees that they should all leave, but first he wants to collect up all their equipment because they, too, planted cameras in all the hotspot rooms. And... Again, they, they split up to go pick up the equipment because apparently watching that film and thinking it was real didn't teach them anything. And this is when a bunch of haunting happens and people get murdered because they're stupid. In... A new twist to this film, they do actually escape the hospital and return to the hotel where they grab their stuff and exit on the elevator. The end. Just kidding. That's not not really how it ends. Uh, So while they're on the elevator to leave the hotel, the doors open. And in reality, they are still in the hospital, but the doors have opened and they are in the tunnels underground. This makes me wonder if that's supposed to be the same elevator that Matt in the first movie, like, threw himself off of.
0: I kind of assume so.
1: Um, At this point, they find the actor who played Lance Preston. And it turns out he has been living in the hospital, mapping its crazy changes and just being generally insane. Uh, The one thing I like about this movie is the map he makes. It's so cool. Uh, Anyways... (laughs) It turns out that the crazy Lance Preston is onto something because he was able to predict the changes in this maze-like hospital. Like they walk into a closet room, he opens the door once, it's the same hallway, opens it twice, and then they're in a different hallway on a different floor. Hmm. So it's it's pretty cool. He also shows them some random large red door in the middle of a tunnel underground that he can't open. Long story short, they open the door. (laughs) The ghost entity thing tells Lance that he needs to, quote, finish the film before he can escape through it. Some random portal thing opens. Lance gets sucked in. Alex figures out that the only way to leave the hospital is to be the only survivor and take all the film with him. He makes that happen. He walks through the red doors and is then found wandering Los Angeles with his bag of horrific film. And then the film gets made and they continue to tell people it was fake.
0: The end. It is a a dumb movie. It's a terribly dumb movie.
1: It is an awful movie and it kind of ruined the way they left the first movie. They still don't explain what happened to... Everybody. Yeah, anyone that disappeared. Uh, It doesn't explain what the demonic happenings Mm -mm. actually were unless the door is supposed to be some gateway into the other world i don't know and then there's this random addition to where the ghost thing in the hospital is making these films it just i don't know it was a lot yeah there yeah it wasn't done well and then the first like hour of the movie Is them just trying to build up the suspense to go to the hospital. And then they rush the last, I don't know, however many minutes of the movie of people getting murdered. Like it happens really fast because they spent a long time building up to that when they really didn't have to put that much effort into proving to us that that was haunted. (laughs) Like we saw the first movie. You don't need to prove it. Yeah. There There was a lot of stuff at the beginning they could have cut out and it would have been far better.
0: So, graveyard and hots. First, police officer dis- disappears off camera and then gets found after, or later, strapped to the gurney, being fried by the electric shock machine. <laughs> He's a fried, crispy, um, shrimp. <clears throat> Jared gets pushed out of the fourth floor window. They discover a pediatric ward and see a little girl who is actually ta- who actually talks to them before getting all black and of course, none of these ghosts are in the first one. Like, none of the ghosts in the first one ever talked to them. So, this is the only one you see that's like trying to communicate of some sort.
1: Yeah, that was something new they added.
0: Yeah. Tessa, the makeup artist, gets separated, kind of, kind of like a medium, and then, or like the medium, and then the same hallway. Oh, sorry. Kind of like the medium, and in the same hallway. But she's murdered by an invisible ghost that crushes her head and breaks her back or or something then her body is dragged away so basically some ghost poltergeist like kills her and drags her away
1: it's the same thing that killed the medium because he too was invisible and just battered
0: yeah so they have a complete mental manipulation by being made to think that they're in the hotel and they've made it out of the hospital um in reality of course they have not
1: that was also new they took because in the first one yes they're like wandering through the maze but they weren't completely, like, vision fucked.
0: Yeah. Guess. It's, it reminds, it, it reminded me of 1408. Like, the, the movie where he's trapped in the hotel room. Exactly. Yeah. So the so then the entity starts filming them as they sleep. So you're getting this whole new idea that, they, like, a ghost is filming. And it's just a floating camera. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so
1: it's, they ruined it, really. Because it went from just happening well, Like, to actual
0: hauntings yeah. to, like, then-
1: Manipulating ghost.
0: and creating. Yeah. It. Yeah. And like the ghost is, is interacting. So it's a whole new thing with like interacting with objects while, um, you know, in the first one it was all off screen and cuts, but now these ones are all there and fucking poltergeist like. Lance kills Trevor in the bathroom while he's trying to record a goodbye statement. And then last claims, Lance claims the ghost the ghosties, you know, made him do it. They're in my head. They're in my brain. Blah, blah, blah. Um, Alex and Jennifer end up in Dr. Friedkin's satanic experiment room where they see the same procedure from the end of the first film but from another angle so the doctor dies sorry the doctor does a lobotomy on the man then a baby is brought through is brought in and sacrificed so his blood can be used so now there's baby sacrifices and shit like that in here too
1: yeah I don't know
0: lance gets sucked into the void and then alex beats jennifer's face in with a camera just like quarantine but not so intense um and more realistic and slow
1: yeah i hated everything about this movie moving on
0: <laughs> yeah those are my thoughts hated it all that is the that is the thoughts yeah
1: uh so behind the scenes i didn't i don't have much so this will be quick uh, in an interview Uh, done by Daily Dead, the Vicious Brothers say that they had to rush the post-production, which left them with a project they were not entirely thrilled with. Neither is anybody else, let me tell you. They had a lot more footage to sift through than the first one, because on top of the regular filming, all of the actors were wearing GoPros, so they had to go through all of that. And I personally would like to think that they had, if they had had more time to edit, they would have cut out a lot of that bullshit at the beginning that I said they didn't need. And spent more time on the actual haunting and maybe had more of like a fleshed out representation of the story they were trying to tell but failed miserably to do so. Yeah. I... Then there's a quote that says, I think if we had another two months, we probably could have really refined that and helped it find its shape in a more natural way. So like I just said, okay. Mm
0: Mm-hmm.
1: They do have a current script for a third Grave Encounters, but I don't think it'll ever happen because of how poorly the second film did. Yeah. Uh, this is also another instance where the first movie was made off of like a shit budget and they often quote just like a special amount of circumstances for it being as good as it was. And then the second film got a lot of money and just turned out to be shit I think the same thing Mm -hmm. happened with I think we said Halloween Uh, that was another one yeah I just hit my microphone again sorry so really fast some theories Uh, again nobody really cares about this film so these are just my own film my own happenings Uh, due to the movie the hospital entity got stronger and was able to manipulate more and extend its reach because it's the hospital emailing I guess it figured out how to work social media, even though there is nothing in that hospital that has that ability. So that's weird. Yeah. Uh. And so I think that perhaps by having the film finished and putting it out there, it hoped to get even more power and either escape the hospital because it's getting stronger as people realize how fearful it is, or... It could, like, fully break whatever seal was created. I don't know. Whatever's happening with the door. Um, or it just wants more people to come to the hospital so it can feed off of them. I don't know. My second theory is that this movie doesn't exist. The franchise ended after the first movie, and that's it. Hmm. <laughs> it's a
0: terrible fucking movie.
1: I did find a Reddit theory about it, um, basically, to summarize what they said, and this is a direct quote, please don't ever watch Grave Encounters 2. That's it. (laughs) Hmm.
0: It's, it's It's not a movie that should have been done. It's not something that should have been made into a series. It just don't. It could have been made into a series,
1: but it could have been made better. Yeah, if, if again, it had
0: been done but like in a different way, sure.
1: If they hadn't tried to rush it, it would have probably turned out well. Yeah. And uh, just to flesh out this movie, this is Lance Preston, Grave Encounters, signing off. Meow.
0: <laughs> That's what it's missing. It's missing cats. There you go. There wasn't a single cat. Oh. Would have been so much better. Uh-huh. Been so much better. Secretly, all of the ghosts—it was just a cat running around terrorizing them. That's what it should have been.
1: Nah, ghosts are, or cats are too cool for that.
0: But anyway, they, they would have made it
1: better. If you want more details on our raffle, we are going to post something on our social media for that. So keep your eye out for that. Start posting, participating. We'll keep track of everybody who does anything. Uh, so mm-hmm. you can like whatever interact with our posts on our instagram or facebook at
0: horror underscore cats underscore witch hats you can email us all the good things at horror cats witch hats at gmail.com it's all it's just one word <laughs> and just to say
1: it now our next episode is going to be on the halloween blumhouse movie the 2018 one because we're going to segue from there into halloween kills which comes out in roughly a month and some change. So, whoop, whoop, whoop. until next time, meow.